We are going to be in uh, Romans 15. I believe we're starting a new series next week, but kind of for this um, first sermon of the year, I'm kind of doing a, a one-off sermon. I guess it's kind of connected to what Sam preached on last week in Romans 8, um, focusing on, on uh, what God has done for us. And today, now we're going to have a focus on um, how that affects the way we treat each other. So we're going to be in Romans 15. Uh, the main verse is going to be Romans 15.7. I'm going to spend most of my time unpacking Romans 15.7 and, and its role in the whole book of Romans, but, but more importantly, it's, its role in our lives. Um, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. So let me uh, go ahead and, and, and read here Romans 15, starting in verse 1. God's Word says this, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, And not to please ourselves, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, Christ has done so much for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He made us children of God. He um, makes us heirs of Christ. Father, but the gospel does not stop there. Father, the gospel calls us to welcome others, to accept others, to bring others in. Father, that, that, that is uh, the heart of this passage. I pray as I preach that your spirit um, preaches through me and opens our hearts and opens our minds to see this truth. Father, that, that it may affect our, our, our hearts and our minds in the Lord and, and, and affect our actions and, and the way that we love each other and the way that we love this community. Father, help us, help us today. Help us with this. We pray things in your name. Amen. Uh, several years ago, um, a friend of mine kind of started this thing, and may, maybe you do something like this. You know, some people do New Year's resolutions. Um, I'm horrible at that, so I don't do that. Uh, and so something that I've kind of I've, I've done that this person is kind of challenging with is, is a word. Think of a, a word that you will think of for the rest of the year and kind of focus on, on that word. And uh, so I've done that for the last several years, and I've really enjoyed it. It's something that's been really helpful for me to, to, go, to go back to. And uh, I've decided that this year uh, my word is, is welcome. Welcome is the word that I've decided for this year that I'm going to focus on, that I'm going to think about. And it, it kind of goes back to uh, September or August, probably August, I think, when I was first really confronted with this verse 7 of chapter 15 and really thinking about what it means. It says, verse 7, again, I'll read it again. It says, this is, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I'd never really focused on that verse before, never really thought about it that much, but as I, as I looked closer into it, I saw that this verse in many ways ties the whole gospel and how to live the gospel and our purpose in glorifying God all together, and it makes it in one really nice sentence, right? One sentence that's easy to understand, but maybe perhaps takes a lifetime to live out. 
And uh, I love that word welcome. I've been, it's made me think about that word welcome a lot. We use the word welcome quite a bit, right? We have welcome committees and welcome wagons. So I don't know what that looks like, but we talk about bringing out the welcome wagon, whatever that is. Um, and we, and we uh, have uh, weeks of welcome, right, at the college, right? This, this, this concept of, of welcome. We have welcome mats on our, on our houses, right? We want to be welcoming. Um, we want people to feel welcomed, Right, we say say phrases like that, and uh, it's not a word that I feel like I, I've seen a lot in Scripture. Um, sometimes you see the word, and I think it's helpful. Your translation might not even say welcome; they might say accepted, uh, which I think is a great word. I think I think it's it's very synonymous here, uh, very very much that that same concept. Um, but really thinking about that idea and what the word welcome, what that word accepting, accepted, has to do with the gospel, and what's so great about this verse is it, it has not just gospel truth in it, not just gospel doctrine, but it even describes what you might call gospel culture. Right? What, meaning what, what life looks like when the gospel completely infuses our lives. When the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is, is completely inside of us and we're completely living it out, we have what, what you could call a, a gospel culture. Right? And we see it right here, again, verse 7. Um, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. As Christ has welcomed you is a gospel truth. It's a gospel statement. As Christ has welcomed you, as Christ has accepted you. Now, this may seem out of the middle of nowhere because we haven't studied through Romans, but in the book of Romans, Paul has spent the entire book describing how Christ has accepted those who have sinned against him. How Christ has welcomed in those who have scorned, scorned him. And what he has done, and not only what he has done for them, but what he has turned them into, and what life he has made for them. Right? And so that's the, that's the gospel truth. That's the truth of the gospel of who we were, who God is, what Christ has done for us. Right? And then what, that, what, what position that puts us with Christ. That is being welcomed by Christ. That is gospel truth. And what this is saying is just as you have been welcomed, just as you have been welcomed, welcome one another. And that's the gospel culture. That's how we treat one another. The same way that Christ treated you is how you were to treat each other. That's the call. And so I think for us to dig deep into this, into this uh, we need to spend a little bit of time answering that gospel truth question of how did Christ welcome us. So what I'm going to do, I've, I've got seven. I've got seven here, um, seven ways that, that, that Christ has, has welcomed us, um, that, that Christ's death on the cross, his resurrection, the gospel has, has, has welcomed us. And along with each one of those, I'm going to connect it to, then how, how, how do we welcome other people like that? What does that say about how we are to welcome others? What does the, well, Christ welcomed us in this way say about how we could welcome others? Okay, I've got seven. Six of them are from Romans. Um, I kind of cheated a little bit on number seven. Uh, it's from First John but I think, and, and, and James, but I think it's really, really important. And so I added that as well. And so uh, the first one, I've got, uh, we're going to kind of go through, travel through Romans. So we're going to start with Romans 1.16. Romans 1, 16, this is our first one. Is, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, for it is salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so my, my, first, my first way that Jesus welcomes us is Jesus welcomed 
Jews and Gentiles. So you might say it this way, Jesus welcomed everyone of all types, of all um, backgrounds, of all um, denominations, of all races, of all, of all groups of people that you could split, split the world up. Jesus welcomed all, right? So Jews and Gentiles is a way of saying all people, not just Jews, but Gentiles, Gentiles or Greeks meant everyone else, everyone who wasn't a Jew. So what that means for us is that we also welcome all races, all cultures, all backgrounds, men and women alike, right? When we, when we, as just because Christ welcomed in that way, we also welcome that way. We don't just welcome those who look like us or think like us or even watch the same um, news broadcast channel as us, right? We welcome all, all types of people, just as Christ does. Number two, this is Romans 3.23, it says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus welcomed you from sin and from death. Jesus welcomed you from sin and from death. We can get even deeper if we were to look into Ephesians. Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that has now awoken the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Right? That is the state that we were in, and that is what Christ saved us from. So Christ welcomed us. He accepted us from a life of sin and death. So what does that mean for us? How, how do we welcome others? That means we welcome sinners. That means we welcome, we welcome sinners. When Jesus saw us who needed him, He drew us to himself. He saved us. So we are to do the same. When we see those who need Jesus, which is everyone, we point them to Jesus. We don't, we don't draw them to us, right? Like Jesus said, we, we point them to Jesus. Right? So just as Jesus welcomed sinners, we welcome sinners. Meaning that the people that we're going to welcome, like us, are in sin. Right, and, are, and are in need. And, and, and I think one of the most important things we can do is see people as those who need Jesus. How it changes the way we treat each other if we can see each other that way. Number three, this is Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this again says that he's died for sinners, but it also kind of points out the timeline here and saying that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, while we still were children of wrath, while we still loved ourselves above others and above God, Christ saved us. So you could say it this way, Jesus welcomed you while you were his enemy. Jesus welcomed you while you were his enemy. And that means... That we, el- that we welcome both enemies of the cross and enemies of ourselves. We welcome enemies. Something I think is important to think about is that this book was written by a man who at one point hated Jesus more than most people of all of history. Right? He, was, he, was, um, he saw Jesus as an affront to his religion and was killing and imprisoning those 
who believed in Jesus, but Jesus met him on the road and saved his life. His great enemy, Jesus met. And, and something I, I think it's worth, worth looking at is uh, Jesus, obviously, he, he miraculously came before this man. But he also had a, a Christian, a person of the church, come and meet him as well. And I think it's worth looking at that story. So in Acts 9, if you want to turn in Acts 9, we see this, this great um, story of welcoming an enemy. Um, I, I think I'll read all of 10 through 19. I think it's worth hearing and worth thinking about. I think it's a good picture for us of how, how this looks. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. That's where Paul was told to go, to Damascus. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, this is a realistic answer and response, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here, he has, and, and here that he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Right? So God is saying, hey, there's this guy named Saul. Go talk to him. Go get him. And and as a way, I've, I've, I've heard of Saul. This guy has been capturing Christians. And I've heard he actually has the authority to do that. He is by law capturing Christians, those who call on your name. And then um, the Lord's response. But the Lord said to him, go for, go, sorry, go, for he is, a, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And Ananias goes, and, and, and he does it. And I guess we'll, it's worth pointing out the next verse, right? So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's hard to read that and make excuses. <sighs> about how we should love our enemies, those who could even put us in danger and, and, and see these people and see what Christ has done for us and in that, welcome our enemies, welcome them. Uh, number four is from Romans 5, 1 and 2. One, one and two. Romans 5, uh, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So we are welcomed by Christ. We are welcomed into peace and grace. Jesus has welcomed you into peace and grace. And I think what's really helpful and important to think about that is that we're not welcoming people into us. We're not welcoming people into who we are. We're welcoming people into who Jesus is. Right? Into a, a, a place that has an aura of peace and grace. Now, what's very challenging about that is we're not a perfect people. But we do serve a perfect God. And a perfect Jesus. And, and, and I think sometimes we have this thing that when we think about welcoming people, when we think about how we should welcome others, we think, well, the best way to welcome people is to make them feel the most comfortable in the sense that if we feel like or look like the world, they'll feel more welcome, right? They'll feel more comfortable. But really, 
It's very opposite than that, isn't it? We are called to welcome them into peace and grace. I don't know if you know this, but the world is not filled with peace and grace. The world is not filled with peace and grace, but the church is to be. It's to be a place of peace, a place um, of, of love, and a place where, where, where grace is found, where, where, where hope is found. So when, when people come in, our desire should not be that they see something that looks anything like the world, but something that looks at least a little bit like heaven, a little bit like where, where, where Jesus is, where God is. Right? Again, not because of our perfectness, but because of the grace and peace bought by Jesus on the cross that we show through caring, through loving. And these, these next steps, these next, I guess, next, next points, I think kind of help us do that. What does it look like then to be a place of grace and peace? And so number five, I have Romans 8, 16, 16 and 17. It says this, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Jesus welcomed you as a child of God and heirs with him. Right? It's not just that Jesus saved you from the, your sins and then made you neutral. Jesus, if you were trusting in Jesus and believing in him, he saved you from your sins and then he made you one of his. Right? He actually changed your identity. He actually changed who you are. So in welcoming you, he changed you. In welcoming you, he made you his. In welcoming you, he, may, he even changed your future and what is to be yours. Right? That's why it says the word heirs. Right? What's an heir? An heir is someone who gets an inheritance. And that inheritance is the kingdom of God. That inheritance is life forever with Christ. Right? And so he, he changed your present and he changed your future. That is how he welcomed you. He welcomed you as family. And that means we welcome people as brothers and sisters and heirs to the cross. And again, pointing, pointing to Jesus, welcoming, welcoming them in and pointing to Jesus. And admitting that we too came in an enemy of God, but now we know Christ. Inviting them to do the same, that they may be our brothers, that they may be our sisters, and to treat them the same. That that is their number one identity if they are trusting in Christ, that they are our brother and they are our sister. That is what they are to us, and that is how we treat and love one another, is as brothers and as sisters. Because again, Christ didn't just leave us in sin. He saved us. And then when he saved us, he didn't just leave us neutral. He gave us the family crest. Right? He gave us the family ring. He gave us the family robe. He gave us the family clothes. He gave us the family house. Right? He gave us the family inheritance. And that is what we're inviting people into. That's what we're welcoming people into. And man, how important is it to remember that? What a great, great, great thing we are welcoming people into. And how much easier it is to welcome people when we remember that's what they're being welcomed into, isn't it? Number six, we have Romans 10, 9 through 10. It says this, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is your mouth, sorry, and it is with your mouth, your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. See, Jesus didn't welcome us by us first doing certain things first, by us cleaning ourselves up first, or by making ourselves fit in right first. No, Jesus welcomed us 
apart from our own efforts. Jesus welcomed us by faith. By our own faith, um, by our faith, Jesus welcomed us apart from our efforts. And I think that's the important thing because I think that means that when we welcome people, we're not welcoming them based on their merits. We're not welcoming them, welcoming them based on their works, based on the life that they've lived. We're welcoming them into Christ and, 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 and as believers, we're welcoming as those who have been saved by Christ. Right? And even each other. We welcome each other. We treat each other as those who have been saved by Christ. Who not, who, we, we can't, we can't, I can't look at you and say, well, you haven't done as much as I have done for God. I cannot look at you and say, well, you haven't, you haven't um, jumped through these hoops yet like I have. I, like you, can only humbly say, Christ has saved me. And he's calling you and he's saved you. And, and, and if you believe in it and are trusting your faith in him, he has saved you as well. That is what we are welcoming them into in a, in a, in a, in a world where, where we don't do the work, where we don't, um, our efforts aren't measured, but we are measured by Christ's work on the cross. And number seven, and again, this one is no longer in Romans, um, but I think it's really important. I think it's really, really helpful. And this is First John 1, 9. First John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Christ has welcomed you to confess your sins and to be forgiven. He's not welcomed you in to hide your sins and pretend like you haven't sinned. He has welcomed you in to confess your sins and for those sins to be forgiven. That means that we welcome others into a community of confession, repentance, and forgiveness. Right? Because again, we are not perfect. We did not... We, have, we, we, we are not holy within our own right, within our own work. Christ has made us that way, but we still fail, and we still, right, the reason we have disunity in, in any group, but especially in, in the church, is because of sin, correct? Sin is what brings disunity, and what, what, what God has given us to fight against that is confession and forgiveness. James 5.16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Therefore confess your sins to one another. Right? So we are welcoming people into a community of confession. A community of people who repent to God, but also, like it says here, to each other. And that pray together over those, over those sins. And the people that forgive each other for our sins. That forgive each other for the ways that we've hurt each other. For ways that we've sinned against each other. Being quick to forgive knowing that Christ was so quick to forgive us by his work on the cross. So those are the seven. I'm going to go through them one more time. These are the ways that Christ has welcomed you. He has welcomed everyone. He welcomed you from sin and death. He welcomed you while he was your enemy. He welcomed you into peace and grace. He welcomed you as a child of God and heirs with him. He welcomed you apart from your efforts, but by faith. And he welcomed you to confess your sins and be forgiven. And in those same ways, that is what we're welcoming people into. And I hope you're like me, and when we come to the end of that, you're excited about it. 
Because I know I am. It, it, it excites me to know what Christ has done for me, and it kind of makes me feel a little bit silly for not welcoming people into it more often and realizing how great it is to be a part of what Christ has given us. But I think sometimes, maybe you don't feel so excited about it. Maybe it feels heavy. Maybe you feel like, well, I don't do this well, or we don't do this well, or I don't know how to start and do this. And thankfully, that's actually exactly what verses 1 through 7 help us do. Because the beauty of Christ's welcoming power is not only does he welcome us, but his welcome also empowers us to welcome others. His welcoming us actually is what gives us the ability to welcome others. And so I have, from verses 1 through 7, five more points, five more ways that Christ's welcoming empowers us to welcome others. And so the first one is in verses 1 and 2, and that is that Christ's welcome gives us an obligation. Christ's welcome gives us an obligation. Look at verse 1 here. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Right? I love that word obligation because that word obligation is the same as, 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 as like debt. We are indebted. We are indebted to do this. And again, why, why are we indebted? Because Christ did it for us. Because Christ had shown such grace, such sacrifice, such love to us, we are more than obligated to do the same for others. If I can be such a wretch and Christ can die for me as a perfect sacrifice, surely I can sacrifice for you, and we can sacrifice for each other. And, and I think something I think is important to note is this obligation is twofold. One, the first obligation is that the strong are to bear um, with the weak. The strong are to bear with the weak. And now he spends all of 14 really explaining what he means about strong versus weak. But I think what, what is helpful here is just realizing that the strong here is those who are maybe more mature in the faith, those who understand the truth of the gospel maybe a little bit more clearer, and the weak are those who, who may be a little bit more immature. And his point is that we are to bear with each other. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes we have this tendency of we don't bear with the weak, we just kind of write them off. Right? Well, they don't really completely get it. Or, uh, man, they're, they're just not keeping up, and so we just kind of push them off. But that's not what it says here. It says to bear with, what's it say? The failings of the weak. Like, he's admitting that, yes, immature believers fail. All believers fail. And we are to bear with those. In Galatians, it talks about bearing with one another. It doesn't even talk about strong versus weak. It talks about just bearing with one another. So the first part of this obligation is that we bear with the failings of others. The second part of it is to not please ourselves. We are obligated not to please ourselves. And why is that? Because Christ didn't please himself. Christ didn't come here for himself. He came for God and he came for us. That we may be saved and that Christ, that God may be glorified. And that brings us to my second um, point is that Christ welcome, Christ welcome gives us an example. And that example is Christ, right? It says that in verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Christ did not please himself. And I'm so thankful that he didn't. I'm so thankful that he did not live for himself. Which tells me, that everyone is much better off, including myself, if I don't live for myself either. But if I instead live for others and live for God's glory, myself and others will be a lot better off for it. We'll be a lot better off for it. 
The third is that Christ's welcome gives us instruction. I love verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures you might have hope. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, remembering that Christ's welcome introduces to his word. It opens our heart and our mind to his word, what it calls instruction, right? And what it's pointing out here is that that instruction is the same thousands of years ago as it is today. Isn't it amazing that we have instruction, that we have guidance, that we have, uh, have a helpful word that is the same, was the same for them 2,000 years ago as it is for us now, right? And, and Christ's welcome allows us access to that word, to that instruction, to that timeless instruction of God's word that we have here, that we teach here, that we, that we, that we read, that we study, that we speak of, hopefully, regularly. And number four is that Christ's welcome gives us hope. Christ's welcome gives us hope. This is kind of the end of verse four, and then five says, um, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. Right? And I think you don't have to live very long to know that hope is a very important commodity in life because uh, every, um, seems like every other text you get or every other news article you read just seems to suck away any hope you may have. But Christ's welcome to us offers real, true hope. And it kind of puts that hope into two categories or two things that help bring that hope. And one is endurance and the other is encouragement from the scriptures. And so that endurance is necessary for hope, and hope is necessary for endurance, right? That we are part of a family of Christians, of believers for thousands of years who have endured much, who have, who have endured great trial and great pain and great hurt because of the hope that is before us, the hope that we have. And so... Paul calls believers to endure, but not to endure alone, but to endure under the worship of the God of endurance. Notice that's what it says in verse 5, the God of endurance. But also that we endure being encouraged by the scripture. I think sometimes we just, again, see scripture as just the instruction, just the rules, just the things to follow. But it goes even further in saying that scripture actually encourages us. It encourages it tells us how to lead godly lives, but it also gives us an example of godly lives as well as failed lives, mistaken, mistakes I mean. But also, scripture reveals to us great promises that have been filled, and we, we get to see, as we read through the Bible, as we read through all Scripture, we get to see promises given and promises kept, every single promise made being kept. So in that, we can know that every promise that's been made to us will be kept. And we can have hope in that, real hope, true hope. Not hope that comes from a bank account, or hope that comes from a family member, or, or a relationship, or from a job, but hope that comes from the everlasting God. A real, a true hope. And then finally, number five, Christ's welcome gives us a vision of unity, harmony, and glory. I, I, I want you to, to look at verse five and six. I love this. This is like Paul saying almost a prayer. It's almost a vision that he has for the church as a whole, but also for the local church. I think it's a vision that Paul, that, that Christ has, has for us. 
So look at this. It says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Here Paul is revealing the vision behind it all. May the gospel affect you so much that your love and your harmony and your care for one another comes out as one voice that glorifies God. It is in that harmony, it is in that unity, it is in that care and that love for one another, that sacrificing to one another, that giving to one another, that confessing and forgiving one another that shows God great glory. And that harmony shows the world something that they've never seen apart from Christ. Can you imagine if what Paul is describing continued to grow and happen in this church? What that would look like. If that continued to grow in us, if we continue to grow in welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed us, that, that would be my call for us this, this year. We, we, we actually um, talked about this passage at our elders retreat and, and really prayed about it and thought about it and, and what that looked like. And, and uh, it, it has really hit me and really challenged me. Uh, what, what, what would it look like for us to grow in this? And I think it, one of the things, of course, it starts individually. I think it starts individually realizing our need for Jesus and what he has done for us and the great power of the gospel and the great truths of the gospel that, that not only are we saved from sin, but we're brought into family with Christ and our inheritance thereof. And that that gospel truth changes the way we live. It changes the way we love each other. It changes the way we love fellow believers. It also changes the way that we love the lost. Because when we see people the way Jesus sees people, we see that they need Jesus. And we do everything we can to sacrifice ourselves to show them who Jesus is. Knowing that he was the best thing that ever happened to us. So let me, let me, let me end this way. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant us to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus and all that he has done for us that together we may with one voice, one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Ridgeview Bible Church, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us that God may be glorified. Let's pray. God, you have done so much for us. You have saved sinners. You have saved your enemy. You have welcomed us with open arms into your kingdom, into your people. Father, and you have made us yours, and you have brought us into a community of peace and grace. Father, may we now welcome each other and welcome others in that same way. May we in that same way Show your grace, show your peace this world. May we be a people of forgiveness, a people of confession, a people of grace, and a people of your word, a people who, who value the instruction, who are encouraged by the instruction of the scriptures of your word. Lord, may we be a people that welcome others as Christ has welcomed us. It is in your precious name we pray. Amen.